Ah, the excitement of Easter. Wasn't it wonderful? Didn't we have a wonderful time celebrating the resurrection of our Savior? So it was neat to see that. Kind of got me thinking. Last Easter, not, not, not a couple weeks ago, but a year ago on Easter, as Easter breakfast was wrapping up and people were beginning to leave, a good friend of mine started lamenting. I mean, truly lamenting out loud. They aren't coming back, are they? So th th this friend, becoming a bit emotional almost, was, was filled, with this, filled with this urge to plead with the people walking out the door, you're not coming back next week, are you? But please, don't say it so. Please come back. So, do you feel that kind of angst? Easter was two weeks ago. Okay, the, the chocolate buzzes have worn off and the smell of the lilies have faded. Well, actually, in my house, they're, they're just starting to bloom now, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but here's the thing. We have started, we've all started getting back into the regular routine of life for some time now, haven't we? And in a sense, that's what the disciples were doing as well. The, the buzz of Easter evening had worn off. Thomas was no longer doubting Thomas. And the disciples were, in a sense, waiting around as if to ask, what next? Let's look at our text. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Jesus appeared. He revealed himself. He caused himself to be seen. Now, during the, the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, Jesus, Jesus appeared to his disciples occasionally, uh, unexpectedly, and, and, and often in a very dramatic way. Now, that word appeared that is used here is, is only used at special times, like, like when Jesus appeared on this earth at his birth, his uh, baptism, his first miracle, and, and when he will appear again at his second coming. So when Jesus appears to us, it is a big deal. When we hear that word appear um, in Scripture, when Jesus is appearing to us, that is a big deal. That is a big moment. That is an opportunity that we want to take advantage of. I'm sure that you guys remember this, this Bible passage from Matthew 18. Jesus said, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. So friends, every time people gather together around the Word of God, every time people gather together um, around the Word, around Jesus, Jesus appears to us too. Okay, A little different than He did on the Sea of Galilee here. But every time we gather together around the Word, Jesus appears to us. Every time we gather for worship, every time we gather for Bible study, Jesus is here with us. He's meeting with us. Now, two weeks ago on Easter Sunday, 206 people gathered here. Last Sunday, 80 people gathered here. Did we miss out on something as a group? Now, now listen, going to church isn't some task you have to perform in order to go to heaven. There's, there's forgiveness for missing. But what this is saying and what I want God's word to instill in every single one of us is what a big deal it is when Jesus appears among us. 
when Jesus is here with us, spending time with us. Every, from, our, from our little, small group Bible study gatherings to our larger worship gatherings, every time is an opportunity to see Jesus. So let's be there and let's encourage each other to be there. All right. So here's what happens on this occasion. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, that means the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so what's up with the Sea of Galilee? Why do, why do people even go fishing on that at all? Because there is not a single uh, scripture passage in the whole Bible that says something like, that starts, uh, well, the disciples were out fishing on the Sea of Galilee and they were just reeling them in left and right. It seems that every time that we have a fishing report, it's a big zero. But, but in all seriousness, the, the truth, as far as we know it, the truth about the Sea of Galilee is that it's stocked with fish. It's full of fish and still is. I've, I've eaten fish from the Sea of Galilee myself. So there's still fish there. It's always been known as a lake with fish. All right? Peter and company were excellent fishermen. Um, they were fishing at night, which was the best time to fish. There is no doubt in my mind that this drought of fish, this slump, this getting zeroed out here that night, was both engineered and commanded by Jesus. So I think he engineered and commanded the slump too. I think Jesus controlled, engineered, commanded this, this slump, this drought of fish, because he wanted the miracle, he wanted to make sure that the miracle made a huge contrast for those disciples, that it really struck the disciples with the contrast I don't think it would have been quite as meaningful if they would have caught, you know, like 50, 60, 70 fish at night and then another 153 in the morning. They got zero at night and 153 in the morning. So as much as Jesus gave them the fish in the end, I, I think this one and the other occasion in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus also had control over the fact that they weren't catching fish. So here's how their all-nighter ended. Early in the morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, why not? He wasn't wearing a mask. He wasn't shape-shifting. Why didn't they recognize him? I think it had something more to do with this. I think that because the disciples had kind of gotten back into their regular routine of life, that they were unprepared to expect Jesus. Um, something kind of funny happened to a, a, a good friend of mine. Um, my neighbor, all right? My neighbor's two daughters were coming home from university to visit over Easter. Um, but the cool thing was, it was a surprise, all right? Their mom had no idea they were coming home to visit, none. All right, so when they rang the doorbell out of the blue a couple days before Easter and their mom was walking to the door and glancing out at them through the window, her first thought was Jehovah's Witnesses. 
So then when they grabbed her and started hugging her, her realization of who they were slowly began to shift from overly friendly religious zealots to her loving daughters. All right, from shock to joy. Now, moms always, moms can recognize their children anywhere, right? Moms recognize their children. So what made this brief moment of non-recognition possible? Besides, I think the one, one of the, the fact that one of them had a new pair of glasses, it, it was this. Um, the mom was not expecting them to be there whatsoever. She was going through her regular routine of life and her daughters were supposed to be a thousand miles away. All right, so she had no reason to expect them. And maybe you're all thinking, I, I, the same thing has happened to me. You're all thinking of an opportunity when, or, or a time in your life when you just didn't recognize them because they shouldn't have been in that general part of the world. Right? Well, the disciples didn't recognize Jesus. I don't believe they were prepared to expect him. So now, now let's, let's apply this in a, in a spiritual sense. When we are at our regular routines of life, are we prepared to expect Jesus? Um, when we are in our, going about our daily tasks, do, do we recognize Jesus when he appears to us? Do, do we see him? Are we prepared for him to be there? Or, or do we, a little bit sometimes, get some tunnel vision going and kind of block out his presence? I know that we are all very aware of his presence during Holy Week, right? Um, you know, if it isn't the, the daily emails coming from me, it's the fact that we, we have extra services, we, you got the special devotions going, we even got the Bible miniseries on TV, right? But what about now, two weeks later? What is going on in our lives now that keeps us focused there? What do we have on our focus? What's in our sights now? What's on our mind now? Do we have fishing on our mind now? Do we have our work on our mind? Do we maybe have marriage struggles on our mind? Do we have a big decision we have to make on our mind? Do we have challenges or hardships? Maybe a big project or assignment coming up at school? Um, so much so, all these other things, are, are they on our mind so much so that, that when Jesus comes, we don't recognize him so this this person they didn't recognize he called out to them friends haven't you any fish no they answered all right the new new international version uh translates that friends um not sure why the word there is is simply it's straightforward the word is children the word he uses is children children don't you have any fish Kids, don't you have any fish? Okay, so think about it this way. If, if I would have, you know, come in here and walked up to the, the AV team this morning and said, hey, kids, children, don't we have the sound system hooked up yet? I had better be someone who knew exactly what I was talking about, right? I had better be king AV guy or prepare to have some, some humility handed to me. All right? No one speaks with that kind of confidence unless they are in complete control of the situation. So think about the confidence Jesus was speaking with there. Jesus was more in control of this fishing situation, this Sea of Galilee situation, 
than anyone could have ever imagined, much more so than even any professional fisherman. All right, he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So this man on the shore showed that he not only had a knowledge of, but also power over the deep. And that was all that John needed um, to realize who it was on the shore. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. So two things stand out to me here. Number one, Peter is excited to see Jesus. Peter is excited to see Jesus. Are we going to have that same excitement to see Jesus here week after week? Are we going to see that same excitement from you, from this congregation, from these people, as you go diving in to get into small group Bible studies this week? Are you so excited to see Jesus that you aren't going to wait for anyone else to bring you to him? That you're just going to get there. Peter was excited to see Jesus. Second thing that stands out here is Peter's honor and respect for Jesus. Okay? Even in all of his hyperactive haste, he somehow managed to remember to put his cloak back on uh, before approaching the risen Jesus. He wasn't going to go walking up to Jesus all casual and disrespectful with his speedo on. As much as Jesus loved him, Jesus wasn't just his friend. He was his Lord. Will we show him the same honor in our worship, in the way that we live our lives? in the way that we approach him. Those are two things that stood out uh, with Peter's dash to get to the Lord. Excitement to see Jesus and honor and respect that our risen Lord and Savior, who is the king of the universe, deserves from us. All right, now John, who's writing this, he, he switches into the present tense here. So we, we call it a historical present. The, the idea is he's obviously telling about something that happened before, but he uses, he's using the present tense. You and I do it when we're telling a story about you know, what happened last week, and, and, and we use the present tense because we're excited about telling the story. So, um, so John says, So when they get out on the land, they see a charcoal fire with fish on it and some bread. Jesus says to them, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. So, so Jesus had supplied fish out on the sea, and he had also provided a miraculous supply of fish right there already waiting for them on the shore. And so then Simon Peter, who's still working uh, off this full throttle energy drink or something like that, Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So it must have been some kind of adrenaline for Peter to haul alone what the rest of the crew couldn't drag together um, up onto the shore. The boy is excited, right? Look at the details. And, and John is, is writing this, you know, some years later, and he's thinking back, but he's remembering the details. 153 large fish. 
details. And the net uh, was not torn. The net didn't break. Why not? Why not? Could it be that when Jesus catches fish for his kingdom with a power that, that we can't see or understand, but a power we get to use and, and a mission that we get to be part of as we get the fun job of hauling the catch in, could it be that the net doesn't break because when Jesus brings someone into his kingdom, he is not going to let them go. He is not going to let them slip back out into the world. Isn't that what Jesus was saying in John chapter 10, um, 28? I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The net that Jesus catches us with is not going to tear. Okay? That's the kind of comfort we can have. That's the kind of uh, Lord who's going to make sure that when he makes us his, he's going to keep us his. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. What a wonderful breakfast they got to have with the risen Jesus. Come and have breakfast. They've been out there all night, not eating. Come and have breakfast. Literally, I don't know if this is where the word breakfast comes from or not, but literally the word there, come and break your fast. Okay? They come and break your fast. Come and have breakfast with me. Um, you've been up all night without food, um, so you need strength for your bodies, but even more importantly, you need strength for your faith. So, friends, let's have Easter breakfast. Okay? Let's break our fast. Let's not miss any opportunities to dine with the risen Jesus. All right? And I'm not talking about the big brunch we had a couple weeks ago. I'm talking about being where Jesus appears to us and spends time with us. I'm talking about us uh, dining with him by being with each other, by being in the places where he will gather together with two or three. I'm talking about being in the Word. I'm talking about feeding on His Word, being connected to the life that He has given us on Easter, um, being in Jesus. We talked about how we're, we're in Jesus when we were baptized, when we were brought to faith in Him. We're connected with Jesus, who is our life source, and we feed on Him by being in His Word. He is the Word. He is the Word, and that's what fills us with with life. That's what fills us with faith. I mean, the smell of egg dish and samosas, that's long gone. Okay, that's a, the once a year thing. But let's keep having Easter breakfast. Easter breakfast doesn't have to be just that 11.30 thing when the walls go up and we smell you know, all the wonderful food back there. Easter breakfast, I think, is something that we need to be doing all year long. And we have Easter breakfast when we, so to speak, sit with Jesus and eat with him where he strengthens um, not just our bodies but where he strengthens our souls with the good news that we need to be reminded of every day. So Jesus comes. The, here's how our text ends. Jesus comes, and we're still in the present tense. John's excited. Takes the bread, gives it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So it's kind of like feeding of the 5,000. Kind of like the Last Supper. 
Kind of like that first miraculous catch of fish. Kind of like a lot of other events where Jesus was teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. This whole event is full of reminders that remind us of stuff. Jesus is risen. He is powerful. He is victorious. He takes care of our needs. He, ta- he cares for those who work for him. And he, he will bless our work with results. So, so I think there are three main lessons that we can learn from this text. Three main lessons that we can take home from this text. Number one, uh, the first one is uh, the importance of obedience. As a pastor, I'm, I'm constantly evaluating our ministry here. I'm constantly thinking about how can we do things better? How can we attract bigger crowds? How can we reach more people with Jesus? How can we serve more needs? And, and we come up with all kinds of ideas. And, but then I come back to this text, back to this lesson here, and I realize that all God asks of us is obedience, faithfulness. Okay, God doesn't expect us to be great fishermen, to be super skillful at uh, tossing those nets out. But God does say to us, I want you to obey me. I want you to be faithful. Make sure you're throwing the net on the right side of the boat. Okay? Do it my way, and I will bless it every time. So, the importance of obedience, faithfulness. The the second lesson I think we can learn is God's great provision. I am sure that if any of us were out pulling an all-nighter, throwing a fishing net out into the sea all night long, we would be crazy hungry. Um, The Lord is aware of our physical needs, too. Jesus had seven hungry friends on a boat, and he took the time out to feed them. The Lord is aware of our physical needs, too. No, they aren't as important as our spiritual needs. But he cares when we're hungry or hurting or cold or in need or lonely or sad. And the risen Jesus wants to reach out to us and help us. And the third lesson. The third lesson is that God wants us to start fishing for men. That was what Jesus told his disciples the first time he gave them a miraculous catch on the Sea of Galilee. And now when he did this little encore performance here, he was telling them the same thing. We, we have gotten to rejoice in the glory of the resurrection one more time. We have, we have uh, got to stand together and sing together that Jesus is alive. We have got to celebrate um, Christ's victory over death and sin. We have got to celebrate together the truth that, that Christ is alive, that he's with us here right now. And most importantly, friends, that because of what he's done, you're forgiven. I'm forgiven for all those ways that, that we have failed to be his disciples. In the resurrection of Jesus, we have forgiveness, and we've celebrated that. We've been celebrating that the last couple weeks. We're forgiven, and we're alive in Christ. And we know that this is true, okay? And we rejoice in it. We rejoice with 206 people on Easter Sunday. Okay, but now the dust has settled down a little bit. And the Lord's message to us is this. Start fishing for men. There are a lot of people out there who don't know I'm alive. 
There are a lot of folks out there who don't know the joy of, of living for me or, or the joy of being alive because of me. That's your job. So friends, I hope you see another sea today besides the Sea of Galilee. I hope you see another sea today, a sea of people. A sea of people. People who are lonely, lost, hurting. People who do not and will never know the joy that we know as Christians unless somebody tells them. The huge crowds of Easter have gone back home. But there are still fish to be caught. And so Jesus is sitting us down today and he's feeding us breakfast. He's feeding us breakfast. He's strengthening our souls. He's strengthening us. He's feeding us and giving us the strength to go back out there and fish some more for men, for women, and for children who desperately need him. So go into the world and tell them about the risen Jesus. It all starts with Easter breakfast. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Keep our hearts and faith through Jesus Christ. Amen.